Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to this week's Failed Critic, where we will be reviewing Les Miserables, uh, but we have, well, turned down the chance to sing the whole podcast for you, sparing our dear listeners' ears. Not many people went along with my idea as it was, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Stephen Allen, I'm joined, like I always am, by James Diamond. I'm James Diamond! There you go. Just for you, Steve. That's all the singing he'll be doing tonight. Mark my words. <laughs> no, no, I don't know about that. I can't promise. Uh, Jerry McCauley. Hello, I'm Jerry. This is one of the rare dialogue lines where I just speak instead of sing. And Jerry's now used up all our dialogue for tonight. And Owen Hughes rounds off this quartet. Hello. There we are. <laughs> Anticlimactic element. Yeah. Owen, uh, <laughs> can't we get Russell Crowe in to do Owen's bit? <laughs> Owen can probably. So, before we get on to our review of Lame Is, we will start off by going through some movie news that James has for us. Yes, well, um, the big things that because obviously we've been away for two weeks now. Two weeks is a long time in the film industry. First thing was Oscar nominations out last week. Um, very, very interesting. There was bad news uh, for a couple of people and some very good news as well. It was, it was an odd one I, I found. Um, for a start, Amore and Michael Haneker got nominated in the big categories rather than just best. Um, foreign language film or what do they call it film not in the english language that's it um so emmanuel reaver got a best actress nod hanukkah got a best director nod and a more made it into best picture which is fantastic um and really good to see that they are the academy are opening that up but i think really interestingly uh catherine bigelow paul thomas anderson and ben affleck all missed out in best director category um which i think was quite a bit of a shock for all all three of those to miss out and the master didn't even get a best picture nomination considering there's nine of them uh, and they could go up to 10 so the academy chose rather than having 10 to ignore the master which was interesting i don't know what any of you thought about the nominations didn't, didn't, the other interesting thing is you remember they expanded it to 10 a few years ago because mm. everyone went mental that the dark knight didn't get a nod yeah well, and then they did. <laughs> right. And didn't. And those, yeah, you're exactly right. It's because they expanded it to get some big budget films into the pack to give them a, a recognition. They might not still win the awards, but at least they get some recognition. Then Skyfall and Dark Knight Rises, well, can, neither of them. I can see. I can see why 
Skyfall didn't. It's it's a good film. It's entertaining, but it's really a a seven or eight out of ten, you know, solid action. It film. was it's our not... second best film of the year, Steve. You know, <laughs> you're going against the fell critics party line here. <laughs> there you we, go. we voted it as our number two film of the year. And um, <laughs> behind the Avengers, which we all knew the Avengers yeah. would never and, get nominated. But, but I thought the Avengers was a better superhero film than uh, the Dark Knight Rises. It was certainly a more kind of solid plot with less holes in it and it was more enjoyable not not that Dark Knight Rises was a bad film but it was certainly I, yeah, I it's thought the third highest be... grossing film of all time as well and it's not it's only got one it's, has it got four sound nominations yeah. I thought it might have got an acting nod I thought someone might have got an acting nod in there Lou, Lou uh, Ferrino and I thought the same for Skyfall as well I thought Judy Dench or possibly Javier Bardem might have got a nod I thought as well, Javier Bardem but... might have got best supporting actor nod because he was pretty good as a as a Bond villain he was he was very good uh, interesting there's a couple of other interesting things all the best supporting actors are Oscar winners uh which is which is quite an interesting thing. I don't know if that's happened before. And in Best Actress, we've got the oldest and the youngest nominees for an Oscar of all time. Um, Emmanuel Riva, who's 84, I think, possibly 86. And um, I can't remember the girl's name. And I, and I completely cock up the pronunciation. From uh, Beast of the Southern Wild, the nine-year-old girl who played Hosh Poppy in Beast of the Southern Wild, um, which I can't help thinking is a bit of a gimmick nomination, but... I didn't hugely like the film, and I personally can't see how a nine-year-old... I, I think that that nine-year-old was told what to do in every scene. I don't think she... I think it's difficult to say that she completely owns that performance, but but it's nice to see her get a nomination. I'm sure she'll have a great night out. I think, I, think, uh, ben Affleck, <laughs> I think Ben Affleck not getting nominated for Best Director for Argo is quite surprising. Um, and the BAFTAs also didn't nominate him for Best Director. BAFTAs also didn't nominate... Steven Spielberg for Best Director for Lincoln, uh, which was which was surprising as well. Um, I mean, with, with Lin- oh, and um, Tom Hooper wasn't nominated for Les Miserables. Yeah, it got nominated yeah. for Best Picture and a number of other acting. It's pretty rare for the film that wins the Golden Globe for like Best. I mean, Argo won Best Director and Best Picture, didn't it? Yes, the, yes. So moving on to what happened last best night. Drama, yeah. Argo won because obviously the Golden Globe split it up into drama and musical comedy, and Argo won best best drama picture, beating Lincoln, beating Zero Dark Thirty, and Les Miserables did what it needed to do, uh, which beat Silver Linings Playbook and get best uh, a comedy or musical. So those two had a really good night at the Golden well, Globes, and that would help them for Oscars. For Affleck to win best director at the Golden Globes and not be nominated for an Oscar is pretty. It's a weird one, isn't yeah. it? It is a really, really weird one. Um, and yeah, he didn't get nominated by the BAFTA. Yeah, it's, I feel really bad for him. I know Owen's not the biggest fan. I'm a massive fan of the film. I know Owen's not the biggest fan of the film. Um, what is Owen a fan of? Let's be honest. Well, I nominated Argo for best director, but you know. As it is, just yeah. been after. Um, but yeah, so it's going to be it's going to be an interesting few weeks leading up to the Oscars. Um, one of the Academy Today also came out and said they were publicly boycotting Zero Dark Thirty because of its portrayals of torture, and clearly that's the film in which the dirty tricks are. There's always a film where a load of mud gets slung at a film leading up to the awards, and this year it's Zero Dark Thirty, which I think has got no hope now of winning uh, Best Picture. So. 
It, it's good. And we will be doing a Oscar special podcast the day after. I will be staying up to watch it and live blog it on the site. And live be crying at how well dressed some of the ladies are. Oh yes, I'll, I'll, I'll dress be, is so lovely. Trying to find out who who everyone is wearing. Obviously, mm. that's going to be a big part of my night. Do, do we think? Be. Do we think with with Lincoln getting mostly positive reviews that Daniel Day Lewis has got that Oscar for Best Actor sewn up? Um, pretty much, yeah. I, I think Os- Oscar. I, I think. Oscar champion, Oscar champion, playing probably the most iconic American in history. Yeah, it's. Um, I saw Lincoln yesterday, and I'm, I'm, I've actually. You have to talk about to it. Start, I've had to sign an embargo. I can say that I've seen it. I've, I've double checked this. I can say that I've seen it, and until until next week's podcast, I can't actually say what I thought about it. But I would say I would not be surprised to see him win it. But at the same time, I I. I don't know if it's as certain as everyone thinks, and I do, without um, trying to kind of spoil the review later, I do think if you're going to stick some money on someone else who's not Daniel Day-Lewis, I'd stick it on Hugh Jackman. But I think Daniel Day-Lewis is the most likely, but I don't Mm. think it's quite as sewn up as people think. Uh, And what other movie news have you got for us? Uh, The only other one is, and this has just come up tonight, uh, is... Apparently, Zack Snyder, uh, so director of the new Superman film and obviously Watchmen and 300, is developing a remake of Seven Samurai. You forgot about Sucker Punch, James. Oh, yeah, I did forget about Sucker Punch for a very good reason. (laughs) Uh, And Dawn of the Dead. And Dawn of the Dead, which I know Owen's a fan of. All classics. Yeah. Yeah, he's directing a remake of Seven Samurai that takes place in the Star Wars universe, and it's going to be an official Star Wars film, but it's not part of the new trilogy. This is just weird. Um, um, this is obviously part of Disney's new expanding the brand of Star Wars or something. I don't know. Just milking, milking the cash cow for all it's worth, essentially. Yeah, yeah. but it could be amazing. Well, it could um, be. Uh, Seven Samurai is Seven Samurai is obviously an iconic story. Um, it spawned the Magnificent Seven. I don't think, you know, we're not talking a remake of Seven Samurai. It's the Seven Samurai story, essentially, which is one of the classic Hollywood stories. I say Hollywood, one classic um, cinematic stories of uh, the 20th century. Um, if he packs it, if it takes place in, like, a kind of classic Star Wars, and you've got, like, Boba Fett, Chewie, this could be brilliant. It could be fucking terrible. But it could be brilliant, and I'm I'm excited simply because it's a massive risk, and no one knows what the hell is going to happen, and that excites me. Mm. Uh, should we go on to what we've been watching then? Go on then. Go on then. Let someone else talk for a bit. Though. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, Jerry, what have you been watching this week? Uh, this week, the film I want to talk about that I've watched anyway is Into the Abyss, uh, which I think James has talked about on here before. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's the Werner Herzog documentary and it follows um, basically two criminals one of his on death row uh, one is serving a life sentence uh, both for the same crime ostensibly same series of crimes I'm trying not to give too much away and it, it, it basically one of them who's on death row is eight days away from being executed when Werner Herzog's talking to him uh, and Herzog comes at it from a from a slant. I think from the outset, he, he makes it clear that he does not believe in capital punishment, and and he's going at it from that angle. And it, it examines the crime. They talk to the police officers. They do some, you know, some some shooting around uh, where 
well, ironically, the shooting. They used the word shooting in a mm. bad way there. Uh, where that where they took place, where the various crimes were, and, and interviews with family members and people affected, and it's very, very, very powerful. Um, and obviously, the ending, you kind of know what's going to happen uh, towards mm. the end of the documentary. You can predict that fairly well, but there's some real um, moments in it, shall we say? Uh, particularly, I mean, the opening scene is absolutely striking. Uh, anybody who listens to Commode's podcast will know this has been talked about and Herzog's talking to this chaplain, this prison chaplain. Yeah. And he's talking and this guy's just coming out with the name stuff. He's like, yeah, you know, I stand at the, the side of the bed and then I hold the hand and, and he's, he's just going through the motions and he says he, that he likes nature and stuff and he likes playing golf and seeing animals. And Herzog just, just says, describe an encounter with a squirrel. It's the best question I've ever seen on a documentary. You're right, yeah. And you just think, where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> like, what? He's talking about, oh, you know, the squirrels on the path when I play off, and he goes, describe an encounter with a squirrel. And this guy starts talking about it, and he just breaks. Mm. He asks this question, and this guy just slowly unravels. And it's incredible to watch this guy just slowly unraveling and the emotion finally coming out of him, and, and it really gets to him. Uh, and, and it's just incredible. And it, it goes from there. And, and carries that kind of weight all the way through the film. It's not quite... There's, there's one very impactful interview with a, with a former prison guard, which, which was really good mm. as well. But oh, yeah. All the way through, there's, there's bits and there's real sort of... A very human focus on it. You know, he wants to know the story. He wants to know the human side of it. And he, he, I liked it a lot because, really, he didn't pull any punches in, in sort of depicting the fact that these people and, and these murders took place and then another person's essentially been murdered, as he puts it, by the state, um, purely because they wanted to steal a car. That, mm. That's what it was initially about. Uh, and he very much takes the tack of, you know, it's, it's society and, and capitalism and, and poverty which has caused a lot of this. Uh, and he doesn't explicitly do it. And it's just brilliant the way that he sort of, he lets he lets that become obvious without ever having to say it and be preachy and, and ever be sort of like being accused of a raving hippie. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's very intelligently made. It's a very fair documentary because like you say, he does say at the beginning ex- exactly what his thoughts are, but he gives everyone equal time. And then, you know, he talks to um, the family of the the woman who was murdered and, that, you know, and he, he doesn't, argue he just lets them get their point of view across as well and it's it is for someone who is anti-capital punishment it's actually a very very fairly balanced documentary and it's quite interesting because i think a lot of people will take away like a reflection of their beliefs watching it i'm all you know i i was the same as jerry i came out of it even more strongly opposed to the death penalty but at the same time i could see that to be fair he he was giving both sides of uh, the argument. He was allowing both sides of the argument to develop there. It was really, really interesting. Yeah. The other really interesting thing about it is he, he had an hour maximum once with every person he interviewed in that documentary. Um, there's a tiny amount of footage compared to most documentaries there. And I think they said at one point there's either there's four or five hours of interview. He made this entire documentary out of four or five hours of interviews and then the rest is his kind of going around filming the area and stuff like that um but every person he interviewed he only interviewed once and he only spent an hour with them and that's just incredible and it's a sign of what a brilliant interviewer and documentary maker Herzog is yeah i think this this particularly this the the guy who gets life 
Uh, rather than the death sentence, he, he they explain how he how he got life instead of a death sentence. Yeah, it was to do with his father, who was who was actually a, a life lifelong con as well. And this yeah. real sort of touching, uh, deep conversations with with him about how he feels as a father, and you know his feelings of of this being his son and, and his family, and how it's ended up, and and how he affected their lives with his own behaviour. You know, it's not just focusing on capital punishment. No. Real wider no. look at uh, poverty and crime and in, in this. Exactly, and it's also a really um, brave and interesting choice because basically the people he chose, um, you you watch him go, yeah, they're stuck on here. There's no question, although one of them still proclaims his innocence. It's like all the he's chosen the case where all the evidence is they committed the murder, and he's making the case because he could have found a case where there was real kind of we were really unsure of whether the person or not was guilty. And like I said, we shouldn't have capital punishment because innocent people might die. But he's very brave. He goes, do you know what? No, these people are guilty, but I still don't think they should be killed. And that's the way he comes at it. Okay. That's that done. Um, It's on Netflix UK at the moment as well. Anything anything else you've watched, Jerry, that you want to talk about? Uh, no, not not that was too interesting. Anyway, you know, uh, Owen, we we haven't heard much from you today. So, what have you watched this week? Um, well, I went to see um, young up and coming whippersnapper Dustin Hoffman's directorial debut, um, called Court featuring uh, Pauline Collins, Billy Connolly, uh, Sir Tom Courtney, uh, Dame Maggie Smith, Michael Gambon, Sheridan Smith. It's it's really well, apart from Sheridan Smith, full of these like star performance, I guess, of British um, British drama. So, despite that, I wasn't really expecting a lot from it. I thought it'd be quite a schmaltzy, typical British BBC drama, um, if you like. Humour, something that wouldn't really appeal to me, but would be more for old focus. But I thought, you know, I'll give it a chance. I'll go and see it. See, it's supposed to be quite interesting. Um, and it was. I was genuinely surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Um, it's the first film that I've seen that reminded me uh, a lot of Powell and Pressburger's film uh, *The Red Shoes*. In the, the way that it, in the way that *Red Shoes* blends ballet with cinema and tells this real sort of interesting story and really emotional and, and everything. Quartet does the same, similar sort of thing, but with kind of like opera and more about less about a specific opera and more about the soul of opera and, and the music that's involved with it. Um, not two things I'd ever actually pay to go and see. I never go to the ballet and I'd never go and see an opera, but <laughs> you know, the way that these films deal with it is, is something that, that appeals actually. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it, man- it manages to very sensitively tell a story of these old retired, um, famous opera singers and they're in this residential care home. Um, and they have to try and save the care home from going under due to financial difficulties by putting on this gala this fundraising gala where they're all going to perform and all the people are going to pay lots of money and donate to the home and come and see them um but they have a bit of a problem and basically there's three of them that live together which is uh sissy who is played just utterly fantastically by pauline collins who's she's sort of suffering from um the onset of dementia so she keeps forgetting things and forgetting people and she doesn't really remember uh doesn't really have a short-term memory for things but it's done really sensitively you know it's really carefully handled she's just such a brilliantly funny character in it 
it, I mean, it, it's it seems odd to say, you know, when you laughing at you know her her actions, the things she's doing, and things she's forgetting to do and stuff. But they do it so sensitively. It's really um, you don't feel bad for laughing at it. You kind of feel like you're laughing with the film. So yeah, it, it, it was it was very good. It wasn't crudely shoehorned in to try and force a few extra tears from you, if you like. And I'll just say as well. Billy Connolly, this is by far his best film role. He's good in Mrs. Brown and he's good in um, uh, the uh, the film we went to see, the animated film Brave, with his voice work. But in this, he's just, just he just breathes fresh air into every scene he's in. He's got this genuine and uh, just you, you really empathise with his character. He's got this enthusiasm that he brings onto every scene and yeah, he's just incredible in it. I, I was really impressed by both him and, um, and Pauline Collins. But yeah, I mean, it's full of um, good performances. Tom Courtney, Maggie Smith, both fantastic in this. They've got a genuine kind of friction between them. They've got like their characters have got this history where they were together, they got married and then divorced. Um, so now they're, they're finally kind of meeting again after however many years it is in this this care home. Um, but they 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 just kind of have this. This, this tension that you you can really empathise with as um, as a viewer and yeah it's, it's the whole film is just great I was really um, really impressed by it but the, the standout thing is the uh, the performances but also it's the, the music like I say with the, the red shoes merging of the ballet into it this really has some impressive um, sounds and the direction as well from Dustin Hoffman it's, it, you've got these big these, it's because it's a really big posh old house that they're living in basically so you've got all these like natural light and dusty rooms and it's yeah it's beautiful to look at um, and beautiful to listen to so i'd give it a shot i wouldn't go in as as i went into it expecting nothing because you know it, it deserves more it's a, it's a really really well-made film i'm i'm really surprised it didn't get any nods for baftas oscars might have been stretching it because i don't know whether it's really an oscar film despite it being mm. dustin hoffman but I thought it might have picked up something at the BAFTAs, but, um, yeah, it didn't. So that, that surprised me a little bit. Okay. Um, well, this week I've watched two films worth reviewing. One was the Jaws Blu-ray. Uh, won't go into it too much because everyone knows the story of Jaws, really. There's a shark. Uh, we best kill it. <laughs> yeah, simple. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, sometimes you wonder about transfer of particularly older films to Blu-ray, but this one's Brilliant! It looks absolutely fine. I think James has seen it. He's definitely got it. I don't know if he's watched it I, yet. I, but... No, I haven't actually got the Blu-ray, but I saw the digital remaster in the cinema because uh, yeah. they re-released it for a week last year, and it looked it. I saw it on a 4K screen, and it looked incredible. Yeah. It looked like they made it this year. Yeah, it does look. Uh, the shark looks a bit rubbish now, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's much better when you can't see it. But yeah, the actual film transfer to Blu-ray really well the other film i watched was uh limitless which stars uh academy award nominated can't believe i'm saying that bradley bradley cooper i don't know how yeah. he's, i've not seen the film he's nominated for but how the hell has he pulled that one off considering he's uh, done films yeah. like the hangover and the hangover part two and the eighteen uh, and limitless yeah. <laughs> um silver lines playbook i noticed is a harvey weinstein production which explains all the nominations, because that man is the king 
of getting Oscar nominations for his films. So that explains Silver Lining Playbook's success at the Oscars a little bit more. It's it's clearly Harvey Weinstein. But, you know, can he really make Bradley Cooper that good? No, no, but you can get people to vote for him. All right, there you go then. Very cynical, James. I don't think he'll win, but he's, he's very good at getting nominations. He's not so successful at actually getting the wins, but he always gets his films in there. For, uh, Limitless is, you know, Bradley Cooper finding some pills to take that make your brain work amazingly well. And then he becomes really rich because he becomes really clever, but he has to keep taking these pills or else he crashes and, and gets ill. And it's just uh, pretty... Sounds like the Simpsons episode where Homer got a crayon stuck up his nose. It, it is pretty much the same kind of <laughs> principle, yeah. Um, it's just a really average or below average kind of... It's not an action film, but you know what I kind of mean. Blockbuster yeah, kind is of... Robert De Niro in it? He is. It, he, he, he is. a big actor, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he is in it. And it. Yeah, he he's kind of doesn't get out of second gear, and he's just probably picking up a paycheck, and that's about it. It's it's just a really the plot doesn't the plot seems to go somewhere until the end, and then it just kind of stops, and that's it. It kind of ends quite abruptly and pointlessly, and though no one seems to be getting out of second gear, not just De Niro, but every actor in it just seems to be kind of plodding along with no real kind of desire to perform well they just I think they're just thinking this film will probably take quite a bit of the box office but I really can't be bothered to be here I want to make the hangover part (laughs) 3 yeah I want my artistic integrity I want to make my project films like hangover part 3 yeah I'm really into this franchise but yeah I wouldn't recommend it to anyone really it was a good hour and a half of my life I'm never going to get back the shame. Yeah. Um, next next week, I'll review the lockout, and I'll probably feel exactly the same. <laughs> oh, lockout. Um, what the guy Pierce one? Guy Pierce, president's daughter's trapped in a space prison. Yeah, I yeah. reviewed that on here back in May or something like that. I had a lot of fun with that. I, I can't wait to hear you review that, Steve. <laughs> you could well hate it. I had fun. Just lower your expectations, and you might have fun. All right. I'll take that into account. James, what are you reviewing then? What have you okay, watched? Um, well, I went to uh, I went to industry screenings yesterday. In oh, London. yeah, but talk uh, about that as much as you can, because it's I all embargo. I can talk about one film. Basically, I had to sign, it's the first time ever, I feel so professional. I had to sign an embargo, and I can't talk about the films until their week of release. But one of them is released this week, and so I'm going to talk about that one first, and that is The Sessions, which stars John Hawkes as... Um, it's based on a true. Uh, it's based on a true story of a man who suffered polio as a six or seven year old, and so he can own. He's paralysed from the neck down, basically, uh, and he's in an iron lung most of the time. Uh, he's a poet and a writer, and he decide, He gets to. I think he's thirty eight, and he decides he wants to have sex with someone. Um, so he speaks to a sex... He's doing an article for a magazine, speaks to a sex therapist who puts him in touch with a sex surrogate. And the sessions, uh, as the title refers to, is his sessions with Helen Hunt, who uh, plays a character that allows him to explore his body. Uh, it's, it's a really nice film. Um, Sounds it. it. <laughs> I don't know where its audience mm. is, though. Um, Helen Hunt gets properly naked in it. Like, you see her tits a lot. 
and you see you, you see a fanny <laughs> and a bum a lot. So it's I think it's too I think it's too explicit for the, its feel is very much it's almost kind of Little Miss Sunshine esque. It's very kind of like quirky festival film heartwarming it's very heartwarming william h macy plays his priest friend and every bit of it is kind of like heartwarming indie sleeper hit but there's a lot of nudity in it so i i like the film because i like that and i like nudity so it's fine it was fun <laughs> by me um and helen hunt's still a very attractive woman um but i don't know where its audience is going to be apart from hipster people who will like who will have this Venn diagram crossover, uh, but John Hawkes is brilliant uh, as um, uh, Mark, the character in the Iron. Like he's he's fantastic. Um, very good performances all round. It was it was just, it was a good ninety minutes, um, uh, enjoyable ninety minutes. Uh, but it's not it's one that you you would read about and go, oh, that's something to watch with Gran. Don't watch it with Gran. That's all I'm going <laughs> to say. Um, Another film I watched this The Impossible. I'm going to be very quick on three quite new releases. So yeah, the sessions is out on Friday in cinemas uh, to let everyone know. So we're actually I'm actually reviewing something before it's out in cinemas, like a proper film critic. That's nice. Um, the Impossible, which came out on I think it was New Year's Day or something like that. It's based on another one based on a true story um, about a Spanish family during the tsunami that struck in 2004. I know Owen had very strong feelings about whenever he saw the advert and the trailer for this, and I kind of agreed with him and that it felt like crass exploitation of disaster for monetary mm-hmm. gain. Okay. However, I, I, so I went in as a cynic. I did go in as a cynic. The film is so powerful, and the fact that it is based on a true story, and they've changed the nationalities, um clearly to get the film made because it costs 30 million to make uh put naomi watson ewan mcgregor as the thing is people say they've made it about an english family they haven't made it the, the family have no nationality and they've made a very conscious decision to try and make this family as to represent any family that could have been caught up in that they speak english because that's the language that um gets you money in the film industry to be honest <laughs> um and ewan mcgregor is scottish um but they they could be the the important thing is once you watch the film you kind of forget about all of that it's really weird um it's the tsunami is harrowing i can't believe this film is a 12 hour it is just just shocking and frightening and horrible to watch more more than mild peril then it, oh my god you know this this is this is so far beyond my peril full, so, full on peril escape, the soundscape to it was amazing. The, the use of sound in this film was incredibly done. Um, and yeah, the tsunami was just, they shot it in a tank for six weeks or something like that on a beach in Spain. Cause it's Spanish production. Um, it was, it was f- absolutely frightening. Um, and interesting. Apparently Naomi Watts, uh, nearly died as a 16 year old in Australia when a current took her under. And so the fear in her eyes is genuine because she doesn't like the water. So the fact she did this film is you know, full credit to her anyway. Um, yeah, so, yeah, but her interview was just ridiculous. Did you hear her talking about it? No. Saying how, because the, because of this, she can sympathise with the victims. But obviously what happened was worse. Well, 
you don't need to say that, surely. Surely yeah. everybody knows you almost draining on holiday is not the same as what's happened. It's partly yeah. what roils me about the whole production, really. It seems okay. like it's cap- capitalising on on this disaster, and I, yeah, made me feel a bit uncomfortable. Especially as it's still, you know, people's lives are still ruined by it. Mm. Anyway, I'm going on a rant. I'll shut up. Sorry. Sorry. I, what I was going to say <laughs> that is because um, I, I, I did have those concerns. What I will say is. Um, you do get a real sense of the devastation of the area. It isn't just focusing on a white middle-class family. It is their story because it is the true story and it's the story the director wanted to tell and it is an incredible story and who's to say they shouldn't have their story told, in my opinion. But at the same time, you get a sense of the devastation of the area. But do you know what I really got? And um, apparently the area, because they went back and filmed it at the exact, uh, at, at a beach resort where it where it had happened. Um, I got a real sense of, my God, that country just got up and got on with it. Um, there is there is a real sense of the the people there and they use people from the area in the film and the story they tell is actually this country... Could, you know, we get an inch of snow and this country goes to fucking shit. Okay, we get an inch of snow and that's it. We can't cope our infrastructures. They had that happen and guess what? They... They rescued as many people as they could. You know, the hospitals were still treating people and stuff like that. I actually ended up getting a real sense of admiration for the way that country took on that natural disaster. Did, did, it, did, the, did the film, this this might sound a, a rather crass comparison, but it's the one that's come to my head straight away. But did the film sort of, you know, in A Day After Tomorrow, we got the main plot around the family, of you know, yeah. and, then they've, and then they go off, to little bits that are happening elsewhere. Did this film kind of do that kind of thing? It, it, it's it's only an hour and forty minutes, which yeah. was a blessed relief, to be honest. No, it focused on the it focused on the family. It focused on the family story. Basically, very briefly, if you don't know, a mother and her eldest son get separated from the husband and the youngest two boys, um, and they each party thinks the other one is dead, basically, and it's about survival. Um, there's some horrific injuries in it. Oh, and and Ewan McGregor puts in the finest acting performance I've seen from him since Train Spotting. Um, there is one scene where he's on the phone to his wife's dad, and it's heartbreaking. And yeah, I cried four times in this film. Uh, obviously, um, so it, it, it's it's really sad, but it's genuinely uplifting. It's a it's a genuinely powerful film. It's a very very well made film. And and I, I honestly think that I, I think that the the story is a universal story, uh, and it's a story that should be told. Um, we we've told stories as people for centuries, for millennia, about surviving hardship and disaster and and wars and things like that. This is another case of a horrible thing happened to people. This is telling their story and it doesn't matter who they are horrible things happen to them and they fought against adversity uh, you know, it is just classic storytelling and it's a it, I don't I'm not a religious person uh, so I need my stories about the triumph of humans I'm a humanist and this is the triumph of humans and of family love and that's a story that needs telling um, so that's why I, I was I was converted to it um, so that's yeah that's that one and then very quickly, Gangster Squad, um, a flashy, um, kind of paper-thin, 
remake of the untouchables for the mtv generation in fact so much of it is directly lifted from the untouchables mm. it's ridiculous and in fact in a way i feel like saying it's a direct remake almost of the untouchables <laughs> that's giving you spoiler uh, I, i'm i'm sorry for giving you spoilers because there were bits where i'm going okay if this is just like the untouchables this is going to happen there we go um, it it is scarily like it. Is it? and also apparently based on a true story as well but i think slightly less based on a true story than the other two films i spoke about i know owen saw gangster squad yeah i mean i quite liked it as just a throwaway gangster film yeah it was yeah. Yeah, no huge substance isn't, to it, isn't there something some, right. isn't there some weird shit going on with ryan gosling's voice yeah, but I think it makes it quite cool. If he yeah. was just speaking in his normal voice, it would just be Ryan Gosling. But he's yeah, doing a he's called um he's called Wooters, Jerry Wooters, Jerry Wooters. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, so that's yeah. my name being changed. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but him, him and Emma Stone were, to my mind, the bits when it sparked. Um, I thought. She I mean, I quite like Josh Brolin in it though. I thought he was really good at playing a sort of John Wayne esque character. <laughs> Yeah, he would. He didn't have too much to do. It was it, because every bit of it was flashy. He was. He was the. He he grounded it. To be fair, yeah, no, yeah. He, you're right. He just didn't have too much to do, um, apart from be honest and. and um, before <laughs> before, well. before yeah. we um, go on to our review of Les Misérables, do James, do you want to tell everyone about this film thing that you went to at the weekend and probably promote them a little bit so you might get invited back somewhere and we might come get to come as well um yeah basically it was there was a film bloggers workshop which was organized by show film first and you can go to filmfirst.co.uk and um you can you can sign up to previews which they do all across the country um although i've never been able to bloody get a preview there because they seem to go instantly but they they very kindly held the bloggers workshop um and the only gave us one ticket thanks yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It was. It, to be fair, it was absolutely packed. I did ask. I did ask for you, Steve. Um, but yeah, it was held by the FDA, not the American Dental Association or whatever. <laughs> uh, no, but it, uh, the Film Distributors Association, at launchingfilms.com, um, and they are the kind of the UK distribution collective. Uh, and they hold a four-day showcase, and that they allowed me to come to the first day and see six films there, which was very, very kind of them. Uh, so they're launching films, and there's actually a really good bit on launching films where you can see release dates for films for the next two or three years, which is which is quite interesting. So it's worth a look. Excellent. And and other than watching films, what did you do? What kind of workshoppy stuff did you do? It, there was a there was a panel discussion with um, a couple of uh, film journalists uh the guy from the film editor from Time Out was there the film editor from heat was there um the guy who writes the press association reviews who gets eight to ten million hits on his reviews every week that's, which is not, just, that's nothing whatever i know whatever He's, yeah <laughs> um, plus it was there was a guy who is a pr specialist there and someone who's uh, who was legal and in film distribution it was really interesting actually really interesting here we had there's a big discussion about star ratings and whether they're needed and what star ratings mean to people um a lot of uh, stuff about trying to get into preview screenings and interview stars and stuff like that. really really interesting um yeah it was good stuff and there'll be something on the site about my weekend there uh in the next week or so Good. Uh, well, as you are undoubtedly the biggest fan of our main review on this podcast, 
dare I say it, the only fan of our main <laughs> on this podcast, you can introduce it for us. Oh, yeah. Um, you know what? It was quite interesting. Um, my wife, Kate, she did a review for it up on Feld Critics. Um, really nice review of the film. And at the start, she said that this is her Lord of the Rings. And I I feel a little bit like that as well. Ever since I discovered the stage musical of Les Miserables, I thought I'd love to make that into a film. And finally someone has. It doesn't mean I can never do it now. But um, yes, it's the big screen adaptation of the stage musical, which is originally based on Victor Hugo's book, Les Miserables, The Miserable, The Downtrodden, um, which is set a few years after the French Revolution, where France have reinstalled a king on the throne, and it's about a man called Jean Valjean, who um, has been in prison for 20 years for stealing a loaf of bread. Um, and he is set out into the world, um, gets rid of his parole papers, sets himself up as the mayor of the town, but a police officer, Javert, played by Russell Crowe, um, doggedly pursues him to return him to justice, all, all in the background, there's a load of students kicking off, as ever. French students always kicking off. Traffic cones on their heads and everything. <laughs> um, and it, it's all played out against its background of the uh, the Paris uprisings of 1832, I think. Um, and it is a full-on musical. It's not one of these namby-pamby sing a song, then do some... Uh, no, it's basically an opera. Uh, it's It's an opera sung in English. So... That's the film, uh, directed by Tom Hooper, who directed the King's Speech. What yeah. did you think? Well, <laughs> now, I do just want to say, I did. I remember if it was it was the last time we were on, I said I think I'll have one convert, and I thought it would be Owen, and I'm interested to see what happens next. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I think I like I like the story. It's a good it's a good story. I liked most of the characters, but I just couldn't get on with the the singing of everything. I think if this was a non-musical, if it was you know just a, a normal film, they just made a, an adaptation that wasn't a musical. I would have quite liked it. I think I would have. Yeah, I think I would have enjoyed. Liam I think oh, I, yeah, Liam Neeson and Liam Thurman's is uh, just talking. Yeah. It? Yeah, that, yeah. That, that is a strict adaptation of the book, not of the mu- not of the stage show. Yeah. And, any good? It's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty. Good. I, I think I would have enjoyed this one. More, well, I certainly would have enjoyed it more if it was like you said, the kind of musical where you get like the the songs interspersed through the film, either the big whole cast pieces or the you know the, the solos or duets or whatever, and then you get instead of singing every bloody word, like dialogue in between. The songs, I think I would have quite, but I just, I don't know why I couldn't get on board with the singing throughout. But that said, I didn't hate it. I didn't, you know, dislike. It's nearly three hours long. That's that's impressive, Steve. Mm. You didn't hate it. It even took me, I've seen the stage show three times, and it even took me 10 or 15 minutes to properly get used to seeing it in a film. So it, yeah. It's very jarring. I mean, is. I find it jarring as well. It seems just too unnatural because you're used to just people on films talking. You know, like you have yeah. sort of separated it from the stage. Basically, in films, it's, yeah, yeah. So, so I found it difficult as well. But there was a kind of turning point in the film for me where I suddenly decided, no, I'm quite enjoying it now. You know, not in so much as I fucking love this film. 
it, but in a you know I'm you know I'm getting into it a bit and the story's picking up a little bit now because for me it started quite badly. I think that was the first thing I noticed. Really? Yes. Oh, really? I thought I, I yes. was. <laughs> what, I mean, what was... it looked great. You know, the, the sets were fantastic. The whole Hugh oh. Jackman as the slave pulling the rope and you know Not all the waves and stuff. Right. I I I genuinely didn't realise that was Hugh Jackman until he sort of yeah. first started. Until you found out that that was from someone who's never seen or read the mm. book or seen yeah. the play or seen any adaptation. Until you actually, until I actually found out that that was Jean Valjean, I didn't realise that was Hugh Jackman. I just thought it was generic boat pulling slave number one. Yeah. He lost thirty pound or something, I think, to play to, for that. But he, he stopped he, drinking water, didn't he, for three days? Yeah, isn't that it? was it. Yeah, to get the bags under his eyes. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was so bad about that opening bit, then, Owen? I'm in, I'm intrigued. I Is just it, think was, it was. Yeah, I mean, the way that it started, you you immediately saw that he's a slave and, you know, then you've got um, Javier standing on top of, you know, the wall, looking down on the wall. I thought, okay, so there's going to be some friction between him and Hugh Jackman there. Russell Crowe and Hugh Jackman are going to have some kind of showdown and then it's going to be this big, powerful scene. And then it was just nothing. And I just thought, well, where does this feud come from? It just seems to be based on very little. You're meant to assume a lot, but... Well, I don't really care. <laughs> so I just thought, yeah. well, like what? Um, so I didn't really like that. I also thought, you know, afterwards, his whole the, the whole church scene didn't didn't persuade me. I liked it either. Really? Oh no. Okay. Was Jerry, still... Jerry was surprised. What? Well, uh, Jerry, you've been quiet here, and you're the person I'm counting on now. Right. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I've never liked musicals. I, I really was fucking dreading this because. <laughs> I don't know why musicals, and I just think, why are you singing? You should just be talking. Yeah. And this one is a full-on song through. Like, there's, you know, there's very little dialogue in this. And I really, really, really liked it. Yes! <laughs> I, I, I did, and I've spent all day, to, I watched it last night, and I spent all day today realising that I liked it more than I even thought. Amazing! Genuinely. I think um, one of the things about it is... Underneath all the singing, there is a very, very, very strong story there. And I think if you compare that to like Mamma Mia or something yeah. like that, you know, the, there is a there is a Victor Hugo novel at the heart of this. Or Rock of Ages, yeah. <laughs> you know, and and that isn't that's no small matter. You know, having yeah. a, a novel from that kind of you know level of author is is pretty powerful. And I think, I mean, Peter Bradshaw of the Guardian said the film battered him into submission. <laughs> despite his dislike the, the song through format I think that applied to me too you know it just wore my cynicism away yeah wore my reservations down and I don't know why I didn't like the opening so within the first 20 minutes or so it, it became apparent to me this wasn't some light airy film where everyone sang and was joyful and the world was totally unrealistic it, it felt gritty and real and did, did you of squalor and despair and horribleness and characters struggling through this environment having their lives wrecked by Social injustice, and I, I like that. That's what I want to see. Did you like any of the songs, okay, Jerry? Pardon? Did you like any of the songs? Uh, yeah, some of them were pretty good. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I thought, oh, this, this is definitely made a hundred percent better by there being songs. Yeah, but I think it's a powerful. It was a powerful story, and it was very well filmed, mm. very well made. You know, it looked really it, good. It did look good, like that whole, you know. The whole imagery of the film, the whole the sets, the scenery, 
everything did look really good. Mm. Um, it was it was filmed very stylishly as well. You know, I think credit yeah. to Tom Hooper and, and the cinematographers because it was filmed very very well, very nicely. Mm. And something I noticed, I think it's really good because um, Tom Hooper could have just done a, a straight adaptation of the stage show with a few minor tweaks, but he he realised he's working in a different medium. And okay, well, what are the advantages of film over a stage show? And that is. It's packed with close-ups and single takes of actors, um, and you know, and everyone saw Anne Hathaway's performance of "I Dreamed a Dream" in the trailer, and her performance of it in this is incredible, and she is fantastic. Mm. She's going to win the Oscar, and deservedly so, in my opinion. Oh, oh. Um, uh, her when her character first appeared on the film um, is when my opinion started to change a bit. Okay, yeah. so I thought her introduction as this. Um, very polite, pleasant, uh, you know, hardworking, honest girl in this factory. And then getting kicked out and as the sort of her story then develops from there, um, without trying to sort of spoil it for anyone who's, who's hasn't seen it yet, that is, that's the point when I thought, okay, so there is a lot of character development that is being put into this story. It isn't just, um, you know, someone stating something is, is so, and therefore it is, you know. They were actually making it a bit more subtle, trying to move um, move the, the audience into believing what is happening rather than just saying this is happening. So that's, that's the point where I thought, okay, I quite, I quite like this now. I quite like this character, where's it going? Um, and then that, like that, her solo bit, her monologue was just mm. incredible. Just one of the, the best scenes of a film I've seen for ages. It was... Uh, what- it was I was going to say, one of the major talking points is the singing of uh, actors who aren't singers. Mm-hmm. What do we make of everyone's vocal performance, considering that Russell Crowe has come in for a fair bit of stick for his from, from various quarters? Yeah. Um, what do we make of, you know, the main cast's singing I, performances? I, don't, I just want to because I've seen it on stage um, a few times, and... Uh, Hugh Jackman is fantastic in this, and actually his vocal performance seemed very much based on the original London performance of Valjean, who in the, in this film, actually, they, the bishop is the original Valjean which I, from stage, which I thought was a really nice touch. Colm Wilkinson, mm. he played the original Valjean, and Hugh Jackman's vocal there is brilliant. Anne Hathaway's is fantastic. Um, I thought that Amanda Seyfried fitted in with her character, uh, she's not an amazing vocalist, but her that kind of trilly vocal she did. Uh, she played cassette, um, grown-up cassette. Marius, who fell in love with her, Eddie Redmayne. I thought he did a very good job. Russell Crowe. I've lowered my expectations massively for Russell Crowe, <laughs> and in some cases, it was okay. Um, but my my favourite song of the whole musical is actually Javert's. Um, when he sings stars, when he's walking along the balcony and he's talking about, basically, because Javert has no massive feud with Valjean specifically. No, he's, he's just... He's, Javert's thing is about justice mm, and yeah. he is massively driven by justice and stars is his thing where actually when you watch the stage show, you get to see a little bit of why he's such a bastard and you kind of understand it a bit more. And so that's what's really Because he does, does explain in the film that he was born in the in oh, prison, yeah. wasn't yeah. he? And you, that's, but that's the only only kind of real insight yeah, you get into him and why he's maybe like that because he's justice and God. Yeah, that, that's his thing. When he did stars though, and 
he hit a bum note at the end of it. And it, it, that really upset me and annoyed me. Um, and sometimes when he's... They're, they're the big one day more, which is the one that um, South Park the musical that they base Land Revolution. You know where it's coming yeah. from? <laughs> one day more. And it's like, oh, this is good. This is good. And then Russell goes, oh, no. no, no. It's just like, oh, no. He's, he's not too bad when he's doing that bit of dialogue bit. I liked his confrontation with Valjean at the hospital. Mm. Um, although it was really weird when it looked like... Um, Javert had Valjean pinned up against the wall with a sword and then Valjean just turned around and ran off. Because <laughs> I thought, oh my God. Uh, and it's like, oh no, okay, he's not got him pinned up against the wall. That's a window. Um, but it was when he was up against... And I think I think Mark... Again, I heard the Mark Commode review of this um, last week and he hit the nail on the head. He said when Valjean and Javert, when Hugh Jackman and Russell Crowe are singing, everything Hugh Jackman is doing just comes across naturally. Mm. Everything Russell Crowe is doing feels like he's trying really but, hard to be a singer. But Russell, and it's just like he—he—it's almost like he braces before he's about. He's going right, okay, and now I'm going to sing. But Russell, um, but Russell Crowe seems to have some kind of presence as an actor where it doesn't really. Some people doing what he's doing and singing as kind of badly as what he did, it will really kind of ruin the film for people. But he yeah. seems to have some kind of presence as an actor, like you've seen in films where he's not singing, like Gladiator and things like that. That. He can kind of get Pretty away. Much every other film he's yeah, been yeah. He can, he, he can yeah. kind, he can kind of like scrape through it, but with yeah. not being. Oh, I think he does, and I don't think he ruins this film. No, um, that's what I mean. He's... Because I love this film, um, but no, he, you're right. His physical presence is perfect for Javert. Uh, until he, when he's not opening his mouth, he's he, he is Javert. He's brilliant, and he's a very good actor. Um, but it was just a couple of times it felt like. He was, tr- and it's weird. I've never seen Russell Crowe try hard on screen. It was the first time I've seen him kind of. He it looked like he was really trying to fit in, and that that was that was interesting. I'm not saying it was bad. It was just interesting seeing the supremely arrogant that because I'm the fucking best actor in the world, Russell Crowe, actually having to try. Uh, that that mm. for me was very interesting. Um, and what do we make of? I suppose what you might call the comic relief in Sasha Baron Cohen and uh, Helena Bomber Burton. <laughs> Best thing that Sasha Baron Cohen has done for ages. I I thought that both of them combined, but especially him, they they were good at the comic relief. Yes. They were quite funny and, you know, they they were good. They were entertaining. Um, I like their, like their bit sort of when they were introduced as the kind of innkeepers who were robbing everyone blind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's the first time Helena Bonham Carter's done something that good for quite some time as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I had one reservation about them, and again, I, I was talking to Kate about this because we both seen show loads, and we said, "Do you know what? Everyone who hasn't seen the show will love those bits." I just had a couple of reservations, and that is that I didn't get any of the sense of malevolence and malice, which is really present in the Tenardiers in the book and in the stage show and they were kind of cartoonish buffoons in this film which which worked for this film I don't um, think they were buffoons did you quite see that they, they see that they were you clearly see that they were cleverly manipulating the, the patrons of the pub they were in you could I don't think they came oh, yeah, but a, they came across as the really they came across as the serious mm, they came across they're, as they're comic proper grave robbers mm, they came across as comic relationships but not not as idiots or morons but like that they were no, the, okay, yeah, the no, humor okay. What um and 
towards the end, actually, in the book and in the stage show, they are ge- they don't have to sneak into the wedding because they're genuinely rich because they have made so much money out of war and they they are they're a horrible reminder of actually what what capitalism and humankind is real. They're kind of holding the mirror up to the true face of humanity in those. And in this, it was like, oh, look at those stupid people at the end kind of thing. Um, but that said, they were funny. Um, in, in bits. I did, my favourite bits were Sasha Baron Cohen's little size, which aren't in the stage show at all. And that he totally bought that. Mm-hmm. Um, to this role, and also I found it really interesting. He's the only one who thought it'd do a French accent. Yeah, <laughs> well, that, that's one. Yeah. That's one point that I've made, and one kind of thing that did annoy me that everyone in in early nineteenth century France seemed to be Cockneys, and it kind yeah. of just 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 I just thought do a neutral accent. Don't you know? It's yeah. just it's just a bit um, irritating when you know it's set in France. If it was set in the East End yeah. of London, I'd be like, yeah, fine, obviously. But it's just I've, sort of. I've, I personally have never quite understood that. That comes from the stage show. Yeah, I'm, some, I'm aware, but it just seems a bit. Some, you know, at, at one point I thought, <laughs> at one point I thought Danny Dyer would turn up as one of the revolutionaries, <laughs> um, which I'd I love think, to see. On that, on that point about it being in France, though, I think actually they did very well not to shy away from the very sort of revolutionary left-wing di- dissection of society. Part of the story, you know, they didn't they didn't pull any punches on that. It wasn't just some excuse to sing songs. There was a definite message to it. Yeah, and it, and yeah. it wasn't it wasn't hidden. It wasn't shy away from it. It's a story about class. It's a story about struggling to to change the world when everyone else is trying to grind you down a bit. You know, exactly. It's a very it's a very left wing film, uh, which it, which like you say, is really weird that it's kind of almost been that bit's been ignored by the studios or whatever to kind of push it through. But it is quite. Uh, it is quite an, a reactionary film, uh, which is great. Uh, and it's good to see that message being in a mainstream film because you just don't see that kind of thing anymore. Um, uh, yeah, the, what I would say as well, the one other thing I do just want to like, kind of congratulate Tom Hoopon, they made some changes from the stage show which worked really well because the stage show does leave a lot unexplained. And in this... I, I, I was worried about them think because I often I watch it and I think yeah but, but why is he doing that? Why, I, and I love it, but I'm I'm still thinking in the back of my head. But they actually did a lot of really good explanation and virt and virtually every change they made from the stage show was for the better, and that that's really really impressive as well. And um, yeah, and if you if you hadn't already got that from us, I, I love this film. Um, it, it, it reminds me in a way of The Dark Knight Rises, not in many ways, apart from Anne Hathaway being brilliant in it, um, in that I am aware of its flaws, but I just don't care because I absolutely fucking I, adore I it. Didn't, I didn't quite get, and this is due probably from the station in the book, mm. I didn't quite get why Anne Hathaway's character went from working in a factory to kind of prostitute who sells her teeth and hair so quickly. I just thought it was quite a... I, I don't I think... I saw you say that, Steve. I, I, what I would say is they, they moved around the songs a little bit. In the stage show, she sings, she gets sacked, and then she sings I Dreamed a Dream, then she sells her hair, then she becomes a prostitute. Uh, it's, it's meant to... You're not meant to think it happened the day after the day after. It, it's a way of speeding up a bit of that character but basically as soon as she lost that job she she needs to send money for her daughter and the, and the only thing she could do was that she couldn't get another job 
she had to sell a body, she had to sell her hair and things like that. I, I can see why it comes across as a bit rushed, but I think they've just sped up the story a little bit there. That's all I think that is. Should we end with some Twitter comments from people, by the way, just quickly? Nice. Done, Jerry. Um, on, Jerry. We got a tweet from Mike Shaw. I'm taking your job, Steve. Uh, Mike Shawcross said, uh, stunning in its technical achievement, but let down by poor singing. However, uh, Mike's a new writer on the site as well. I just want to say that we, we've got Mike's a new writer on the site, and Mike preferred Rock of Ages to Les Miserables, so I might have to sack him. I would. Yeah, it's not the most auspicious start. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it ended in a touching and rousing finale, though. Yeah. Oh, oh, the last ten minutes, I was I was properly in floods, and at one point, I actually, my wife looked at me because I went <gasps> like that just really loudly because I, I couldn't breathe because I was crying so much. It was horrible. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? <laughs> I didn't quite a single film yesterday. Well done. That's, that's well, an achievement. I tried for about an hour, Jerry. <laughs> what other tweets did we have then, uh, Jerry? The one we had um, Jack, Jack Stewart said, um, contrastingly to the rest of us, it made me sick, but I don't like musicals. A friend paid for my ticket, but it still managed to be the worst experience ever. <laughs> And I've spoken to him on Twitter. He also hated Cabin in the Woods. I love him to bits. He's, he's a lovely guy, but he hated Cabin in the Woods as well. Just Did, what was his thoughts on Rock I, of I, Ages? I really genuinely enjoyed it. I'm, I'm so pleased that you liked it. I'm genuinely pleased. And I didn't, I, I do want everyone to know, I didn't pick this as some kind of jokey punishment in the way that Owen made us watch Paranormal Activity 4. Um, <laughs> sorry. Rock uh, of Ages. No, <coughs> yeah, sorry. No, no. no. Rock of Ages was the one which I picked as a, to take the piss. Um, no, I, in, actually, in the same way that Owen picked Paranormal Activity 4 because he genuinely thought it would be a good film and he really was excited about it and he was pleased with it. Um, I genuinely picked this because I thought it would be something new, something you would not have seen before and that's something you might like. And I'm so pleased that, A, none of you hated it and that, B, Jerry actually really quite liked it as well, uh, and and Owen thought it was a decent fit. I'm I'm really I'm really quite happy about that, and I, um yeah, that's that's made my year already. <laughs> and so yeah, basically, I think our summary is go and see it because if you like Les Mis already, you'll really like the film. In if you don't, if you've not, if you've not seen it. Um, or, you know, not really, don't think you're really interested in musicals, this could well convert you, but you probably won't disenjoy it. Disenjoy is not a yeah. word. You know what I mean. Uh, and, and everyone has to see Anne Hathaway's performance. She's only in it for about 15 minutes or so, um, but you genuinely have to see her performance in it. If, you, if you're if you a fan of acting, you have to see her performance in it. And Did anybody else get people standing up at the end and applauding in the I, cinema? I, we I, had applause in our cinema. I, I, I left... Um, as soon as the first credit came up, but as more to the gentleman decided to sit next to me in a half full cinema and just, he even <laughs> said to, he, like but he, he was massive. I mean, I'm not small, but he was, he was so big that sitting upright, he could use his gut as a shelf for his fucking nachos. And right. When I went in, cause it was only sort of half full. When I bought my ticket, I was allowed to choose where I was sitting. Right. They put the screen. Where do you want to sit? Have a, you know, oh, yeah. that's fine, right? He must have had the same choice. He's on his own. He's willingly <laughs> picked the seat next to me, and he's even made a joke about it when he comes in. And he's blocked me in, so I can't really get up round him and go and sit somewhere else. And I just thought, why have you done this? Of everywhere, maybe, maybe he's lonely, Steve. 
Just yeah, one. maybe he thought it was a hot woman. He thought, I'll take my chances. He thought it was a hot woman. You know, there'll be and, a load of emotional women and, in and why have you had to, have to sit next to one why have you had to order <laughs> why have you had to order nachos with stinking jalapenos on them for, oh Nachos is the worst thing to happen to cinemas but, in I mean, the last 30 years. But, but there might there might well have been an applause I just don't know because of him um, if you're no, listening was, it, was there an applause at even of your twos yes people stood yeah. up next to me stood up and applauded yeah. the, 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 the worst thing that could have happened that thankfully didn't happen was people singing along I've well, heard I of Bell into the back who sang along a little bit uh, I've heard I of that Anna Hathaway scene. Yeah, that Anna Hathaway oh, God, scene is ruined be... by people. Yeah, oh. singing along. To oh, you just, just imagine, just hear him in the background, odd, odd songs, odd lines. Oh really? I didn't get any of that. They must have so... changed the timing off some of the lines as well. But I mean, I've, I've, I've mentioned this. I mentioned this online, but um, you know, Les Mis was the the worst behaved cinema audience I've been in since I've been doing this podcast. Like and you'd expect, so but you'd expect it from like you know, say, Batman or Avengers Assemble, where you're going to get a lot of yeah. younger people in there, a lot of chavs, say, you know, mm. without being too derogatory to certain types of people, the kind of and you yeah. know, or and or you know, or in Brave, where you're going to get a lot of young kids who can't, yes. you know, yeah. who, who lose attention and whatever. And in those films, you think I might have someone, the phone goes, or some you know, people talking and whispering and dicking about and stuff like that. Nothing. Every time I've been, pretty much fine. This one, people, other than the the slob sat next to me, you had people whispering, I had someone's phone keep beeping throughout it, you had people talking. It was, you know, terrible. That's really weird. I, could, I was surprised by went... it. I was surprised by it as well. Can, you know, especially Kate in... went Friday night, first night, and she said it was it restored her faith in humanity. It was the best cinema audience she'd ever been in. Silence for the whole thing, and then applause at the end. The one I was in was pretty much the same, except at one point, you know, um, Sasha uh, Sasha Brown Cohen's character yeah. uh, Tenardier makes the joke about getting Cassette's name wrong yeah. and calls her Colette. Mm-hmm. Right? He went, "Oh, Colette," and this woman three rows behind us went, "Cassette." It's like, <laughs> no, you don't get it, it's a joke, you fucking moron. That really annoyed me. Yeah. But apart but, from that, it was, it was, I had a really good I'm, audience. I'm quite, cl- I'm quite, I'm quite, I'm quite, I'm quite, I'm quite, I'm quite glad I didn't have an applause at the end of mine or I didn't hear one because there's two things I hate. It's people applauding at the end of films and people applauding when your plane fucking lands. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just can't tolerate or understand either. Who who are you applauding to? Steve, uh, maybe there was applause, but the man next to you absorbed all the sound waves. Wouldn't yeah. surprise me. Disgu- I, 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 I was embarrassed to be the same species as him. Phantom Menace got applauded. <laughs> Phantom Menace got a round of applause. Can you fucking believe that? Good. Has anybody ever watched a film in America? No. no. Do they applaud? Do they shout at the screen? Uh, yeah, I watched Fantastic Four in New York, right? Years ago, when Fantastic Four was actually out. Um, and obviously it's set in New York. So you're looking around thinking, oh, it's just down the road. Oh, and the Americans were whooping and hollering and cheering. And when they saved the world at the end, they all stood up and cheered. <laughs> I hate America. I'm just living up to a stereotype. Right, should we, we finish now? Um, yeah. Yeah, so we've basically told you what we think of Les Mis. What's next week, James? Uh, next week is the return of Quentin Tarantino. Um, he's going to shut our butts down. 
We're in this film. It's uh, Django Unchained. Uh, very, very excited about it. Um, of course, no one's talked about slavery for the last 30 years, so yeah. thank God Quentin Tarantino is here. It's a good job the uh, the uh, American Indian, Native American Indian thing has all been sorted now, you know. Yeah. It's a good yeah. job that's been sorted, good so we can that. get on with slavery. And, yeah, it's about time someone talked about slavery, because, you know, I've been begging for Steven Spielberg to make a film mm. with Daniel Day-Lewis, which talks about the 13th Amendment. Yeah. Yeah. I just can't see it anywhere on the horizon. <laughs> but that said, I'm very, very excited. It's got Christoph Waltz. It's got Leonardo DiCaprio. It looks to be... It looks to have some of the best characterizations on screen from a Tarantino film for a long time. I can't and, wait. And uh, when are we reviewing the second best film about Abraham Lincoln in the last 12 months? Uh, that will be... Opposite. You mean the non-factual account? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, but I don't know if it's going to be our main review because I think um, it's at the same week as Arnie's return to cinema in The Last Stand and I think it's only fair... We induct Arnold Schwarzenegger into the corridor of praise. Nominated films. Arnie's back, boys. Yeah, exactly. Arnie's fucking back. Best acting, bollocks. We've got an old bodybuilder who's going to keep. Yeah. Right. So that will be the week after Corridor of Praise. Arnold Schwarzenegger, get ready. He'll be back. Django Unchained next week, and you can find the website at where James. Feldcritics.com and Twitter is. At failed critics. There we go. Lovely. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone for contributing. And thanks to Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com for the music. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.